0: Welcome to the super extended edition Best of the Left podcast, Torture, Endorsement, and Legalization Spectacular, with clips today from the Young Turks, Democracy Now!, the Sam Cedar Show, the Inside Scoop with Mark Levine, the Randy Rhodes Show, and Countdown with Keith Olbermann.
1: It's an awful morning, uh, and I hate to start on a depressing note, but the Senate today will vote on one of the most atrocious bills to ever come across the United States Congress, ever. The New York Times this morning has called it our generation's alien and sedition acts. It is grotesque and likely to pass. It has already passed the House with uh, seven brave Republicans voting against it, 34 horrible Democrats who sold us out voting for it, including friends of the show, Harold Ford Jr., Sherrod Brown. Terrible, terrible, terrible unacceptable votes and uh, you know okay we're the bad guys for saying it and it's and this is why in the mainstream media you you don't get people who challenge people in power because they're afraid that people will not come back on their show I'm telling you Sherrod Brown has been on the show a lot he's in a critical race in Ohio for the Senate he's much better than Mike DeWine what he did yesterday in that vote was unacceptable to the nth degree I don't maybe it means absolutely nothing but I'll never forget it, and I know that if he ever runs against somebody who has real values like Paul Hackett, I'll vote against Jared Brown. I'll vote for Paul
2: Hackett. Uh, well, you're certainly, of course, entitled to do that. I, I think it's only important to uh uh to that the bigger problem here is the context in which we live, which goes to the uh which goes to what you complain about so much that in general, in not standing up to the Republicans. We put people like Harold Ford and Sherrod Brown, who certainly in Sherrod Brown's case – I don't know as much about Harold Ford, but I suspect Harold Ford case as well – given a world where they don't have to worry about what will be – the ads that will be run against them in these competitive states with significant military presences in both states – They would vote against that bill. Well, just please, for the love of God, let me make a point because my point is undeniably correct. You can condemn them 100 percent if you want. That's also fair. But my point is undoubtedly true that they if and on my hunches, if the bill had any chance of being defeated, they would have voted against it, too. Because that is
1: not undeniably true.
2: I think it is undeniably true because also then if the bill had any chance of being defeated, we would have been – we'd be in a totally different world. The Democrats would be in charge. It's the only way the bill would ever be defeated. It's the only way – it would never make it in that form. But we live in a world where they're, of course, terrified. They know the bill is going to lose anyway, and if they vote – if they vote against it, then – What we're at here is what? We're in the late September. That's six weeks before the election. They have opened themselves up. These are two guys who are ahead, and they've opened themselves up uh, to very, very, very obvious ads. Ooh. Uh, No, no. Look, don't give me the ooh. Ooh. Look, that may be true. I, I, I hear you. I just want you to – I want no, – well, No, no, no. I know. I, do. I am yeah. going
1: to acknowledge this. Hold on.
2: First of all, let me explain
1: to everybody. This is the detainee bill, the terror, uh, the torture bill. This is the bill that strips away habeas corpus rights. This is the bill that attacks the foundation of America. This is the bill that allows the executive branch to arbitrarily detain anyone based on – with no checks whatsoever, without a congressional check, without a check with the courts, and say – Indefinite detention without trials. This is it attacks the very core of America. This bill. It is the most vile bill I have ever seen. And as we're going to read to you in a second, the New York Times backs it up. It's not just oh, air America, tell you, oh liberals. They don't. They like to coddle terrorists. They don't. Oh, they're so concerned about rights. Every single objective person who's looked at this bill has said it is grotesque. It is exactly counter to American principles. I'm going to read you the New York Times piece in a second. Now, Ben, you're exactly right. Obviously, they didn't vote for it because they like torture, Harold Ford Jr. and Sherrod Brown. They don't like habeas corpus. They don't believe in America. They voted for it because they're cowards. And that is basically in exactly what you were saying when they said, when you explained that they are so scared of losing. They are so deathly afraid of losing their Senate races. And they care so much about their own power that they're not willing to vote on something that is as clear a bill as I have ever seen.
2: I, uh, I, I agree with you. I'm I, I'm disappointed enormously at everybody who voted against it. But I am not so naive to not understand why they did it. And I don't think... I it...
1: understand it, and
2: I think it makes it worse. Okay, well, I know you think it makes it worse. I don't think it makes it worse. And I think in a bill that's going to lose anyway, uh, I understand. They, all these bills lose anyway because
1: the Democrats never fight. You know how many votes they what? need in the Senate to kill this bill? 40. You know
2: how many Democrats are in the Senate? 45. No, it's a different game in the Senate. And I, I, I am... Uh, the senators who have much a uh, much greater ability to kill this bill. Explain this to me, Ben. I, okay.
1: I hear you. I, look, you're right about this. Let me explain this from the House perspective to me. How does it help Sherrod Brown and Harold Ford Jr. to stand up and say, because I was afraid of Republican attacks...
2: I voted against American prisoners. But that's, well, I mean, that's a ludicrous question. It's a Bush administration straw man question. They're not going to say that. The quest- They're
1: not going to say that, but their vote absolutely indicates
2: that, as you just explained. I, well, what their vote indicates is that they are worried about the notion that will be... And the thing of it is, what I think you fail to understand, in fact, I'm certain that you fail to understand it, is the effectiveness of calling them weak on national security. We have to turn it around. Lord knows we have to turn it around. But the fact is... It does work, and Sherrod Brown or Harold Ford are not able and are not in any position to overturn it all by themselves.
1: Now, Ben, you just accused me of failing to understand something, so I'm going to bring it right back at you. What you fail to understand is running from this issue is never going to help you defeat that. They, they've been running and running and running for the last six years. Oh, my God, Bush said national
2: security. They, Run for the hills. They've actually been running for that. What you fail to understand is they've been running from it from a lot longer than six years, and I agree they've got to turn it around. But if I'm Harold Ford or – well, if I'm Harold Ford or Sherrod Brown, I'd vote against it. But the fact of the matter is – and I'd love to have one of them on the show, and we're probably better bet there with Sherrod Brown because he's been on before – uh, and maybe he'll surprise me and go, oh, no, I think it's a good he bill. He
1: won't come on the show. He knows it's a terrible bill. He's not going to come and answer these questions.
2: Uh, but I don't think necessarily that thro- that they run the risk of throwing themselves uh, on the sword for a principle that will be completely lost to history. In fact, it will be lost to 10 minutes later. Exactly 100% wrong, 0% right. No, man. I think actually okay. probably 80% right.
1: The New York Times this morning calls it Our Generation's Alien and Sedition acts. I'm sure that's exactly what the cowards who voted for But look what they have done. Oh, it'll be forgotten. It's just the alienist addition. No, Jack,
2: please, God, you misrepresent. When somebody disagrees with you, you don't care what they say. It won't, that won't be lost to history. The votes of Sherrod Brown and Harold Ford are lost ten minutes later. They have nothing to do Not with if
1: that. I have anything to do with
2: it. Of course not. And the Republicans have won. They've turned this, not as Jill wanted, as you wanted. They've turned it into an attack on the Democrats, who didn't sign this bill, who didn't push this bill through, who have nothing to do with it. It and is a would... legitimate complaint. I'm not done. It is a legitimate complaint to complain about the Democrats in the senate who have an opportunity to stop it there are going to be four amendments proposed today they're all going to be defeated along party lines three of them are pretty good amendments arlen specter who could do a great deal as we learned yesterday from dahlia Lithwick from slate.com could do a great deal to stop it won't do it but ultimately of course the people who are doing it are the people who ought to be attacked throughout ben let me say two
1: things here in case i'm being unclear you have to, be, you should be checked into a mental institution if you're going to vote for any Republican in 2006. Because every single one of them, except for seven congressmen, and we'll read their names later, and some of them are incredibly conservative. But you stand up to this, and you're an American hero. Seven Republicans in the House voted against this bill. Outside of those seven Republicans... Every one of them. Yes, Dick Cheney. Would you like to torture? Yes, I'll do it. Would you like to gut out the U.S. Constitution and grab power in an authoritarian, totalitarian, and tyrannical way? Yes, because they don't understand America. They don't care about America. It's not just that. You can charge the Democrats with that, too. They are actively looking to destroy what America stands for. So voting for a Republican was never in the question. And I wouldn't be attacking the Democrats today. If they just had the courage to do the right thing, which I think is
2: painfully simple. Well, 168 of them did and 34 of them didn't. And I think the focus of our energy ought to be on the hideousness of the bill and who's responsible for it. And somewhere in that conversation belongs, my God, I wish the Democrats would fight and there's probably no greater issue to fight about. It's all about framing. I think you frame it horribly.
1: All right. Uh, that's that's great uh, my bad for framing it uh, wrong but those 34 Democrats who voted for it they're good for being political hacks okay now uh, let me tell you about the bill first of all New York Times says it will do la- quote lasting damage to our 217 year old nation of laws while actually doing nothing to protect the nation from terrorists Democrats that betray their principles to avoid last-minute attack ads Uh, They they say the Democrats have betrayed their principles to avoid those ads, as Ben explained. And the New York Times says our democracy is the big loser in this. And they call uh, what the Republicans are doing, what the Bush administration is doing, pure propaganda. Now, if it's pure propaganda and the Democrats can't stand up to that five weeks before an election, then what are they even running for? Why are they a political party if they can't stand against the most obvious hack propaganda that the republicans trot out there every two years
2: uh, Democrats feared the House passed measure could endanger U.S. soldiers by encouraging other countries to limit the rights of captured American troops to be vulnerable to being overturned by the Supreme Court as well. Speaker, ha- That's Nancy Pelosi. She continues, Speaker Hastert's false and inflammatory rhetoric is yet another desperate attempt to mislead the American people and provoke fear. Adding Democrats have an unshakable commitment to catching, convicting, punishing terrorists who attack Americans. That's the leader of the Democrats in the House vociferously voting against it and making clear what the Republicans are doing. Now, all I would say is, is that what I, the, my only argument with what you were doing is you are actually framing it in a way that is right off the bat, to people unfamiliar with it, blames Democrats equally and almost principally for doing this. And I think that's they wrong. They
1: are our last line of defense. If, well, if thank they you actually,
2: parti- the, I think the Supreme Court is the last line of
1: defense. Yeah, the Supreme Court, packed by the White House, that has ruled against them, nonetheless, on numerous occasions. And hopefully, five years later, after we're done torturing more people, and stripping more people of their rights, the Supreme Court will vote against this as well. But they are, God, you know, why am I yelling at them, Ben? Because we elected them, and they're supposed to stand up for us. I know the Republicans, and they're loathsome. I, I know
2: what they're going to do.
1: But these guys are supposed to be
2: all representatives. I hear you, and, and, 100, and, and by a ratio of 17 to 3, they are.
3: And I knew if I had my chance That I could make those people dance And maybe they'd be happy for a while The
4: music died. On Capitol Hill, the Senate has agreed now on groundbreaking legislation, agreed to give President Bush extraordinary powers to detain and try prisoners in the so-called War on Terror. The editors of The New York Times describe the law as tyrannical. They said its passage marks a low point in American democracy and it's our generation's version of the Alien and Sedition Act. The legislation strips detainees of the right to file habeas corpus petitions to challenge their own detention or treatment. It gives the president the power to indefinitely detain anyone it deems to have provided material support to anti-U.S. hostilities. Secret and coerced evidence could be used to try detainees held in U.S. military prisons. The bill also immunizes U.S. officials from prosecution for torturing detainees who the military and the CIA captured before the end of last year. The Senate passed the measure 65 to 34. Twelve Democrats joined the Republican majority. The House passed virtually the same legislation on Wednesday. Legal groups, including the Center for Constitutional Rights, are already preparing to challenge the constitutionality of the law in court. On Thursday, Democratic Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont condemned the legislation from the floor of the Senate.
5: Grieves me to think for three decades in this body, I stand here in the Senate knowing that we're thinking of doing this. It is so wrong. It is unconstitutional. It is un-American. It's designed to ensure the Bush-Cheney administration will never again be embarrassed by a United States Supreme Court decision reviewing its unlawful abuses of power. Supreme Court said you abused your power. Say, ah, we'll fix that. We have a rubber stamp. A rubber stamp congress that would just set that aside and give us power that nobody no king or anybody else set foot in this land and ever thought of having
4: democratic senator patrick leahy speaking thursday prior to the vote he joins us now on the telephone welcome to democracy now
5: thank you it's good to be with you
4: it's good to have you with us senator now If you could explain exactly what this bill that the Senate has just approved with a number of Democrats joining with the Republicans, what exactly it does?
5: First off, as you probably gathered from what I was saying on the floor, it's a terrible bill. It uh, removes as many checks and balances as possible so that any president can basically set the law determine what laws they'll follow and what laws they'll break and not have anybody be able to question them on it. In this case, uh, the the particular section I was speaking about at that point was the so-called habeas protection. Now, habeas corpus was first brought in Magna Carta in in, in, uh, the 1200s. It's been a tenant of our rights as Americans. And what they're saying is that if you're... An alien, even if you're in the United States legally, a legal alien may have been here for 10 years, 15 years, 20 years legally, uh, if a determination is made by anybody in the executive that you may be a threat, they can hold you indefinitely, they could put you in Guantanamo, not bring any charges, not allow you to have a lawyer, not allow you to ever question what they've done, even in cases as they now acknowledge where they have large numbers of people in Guantanamo who are there by mistake, that they put you, say you're a college professor who has written on Islam, or, or for whatever reason, and they lock you up, uh, you're not even allowed to question. You're not allowed to have a lawyer, not allowed to say, uh, wait a minute, you got the wrong person, or you got the one you're looking for, their name is spelled similar to mine, but it's not me, It makes no difference. You have no recourse whatsoever. This goes so much against everything we've ever done. Uh, We've had some on the other side say, well, they're trying to give rights to terrorists. No. We're just saying that the United States will follow the rules it has before and will protect rights of people. We're not giving any new rights. We're just saying that if, for example, if you pick up the wrong person, you at least have a chance to get somebody independent to make that judgment.
4: Senator Leahy, on this issue of habeas corpus, I want to play a clip from yesterday's Senate debate and have you respond. This is Republican Senator Jeff Sessions of Alabama.
0: It was never, ever, ever, ever intended or imagined that during the War of 1812, that if British soldiers were uh, 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 captured, uh, burning the capital of the United States as they did, that they would have been given habeas corpus rights. It was never thought to be. Habeas corpus was applied uh, to uh, citizens, really, uh, at that time. And um, I believe that that's so plain as to
5: be without dispute.
4: Republican Senator Jeff Sessions. Uh, Senator Leahy, your response?
5: Well, I I wish it was as plain as he says. Of course, in the Hamden decision in the U.S. Supreme Court, they made it very clear that it is available and somebody captured, if in a case like what he was talking about, if somebody had been captured there and held in prison, and they said, um, you know, you have a, uh, you've got the wrong person, they could at least raise it. And you also have, of course, under the Constitution, that habeas can be suspended if there is an invasion, if there is an insurrection. We have neither case here. Even the most conservative, even the most conservative uh, Republican legal thinkers have said this is not a case to suspend uh, habeas corpus. They can set up all the straw men they want, but the fact is this allows the Bush administration to act totally arbitrary with no court or anybody else to uh, raise any questions about it. It allows them to cover up any mistakes they make, and this goes beyond just marking everything secret as they do now. Every every mistake they make, they just mark it secret. But this is even worse. This means somebody could be locked up for five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years. Uh, they have the wrong person, and they have no rights to be able to say, hey, guys, you got the wrong person. It, 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 goes, it, it goes against everything that we've done as Americans. You know When things like this were done during the Cold War in some of the Iron Curtain countries, I remember all the speeches on the Senate for Democrats and Republicans alike saying how horrible this is. Thank God we don't do things like this in America. I wish I'd go back and listen to some of their speeches at that time.
4: Senator Leahy, um, this was not a close vote, 65 to 34 The 12 Democrats who joined with the Republicans, except for Senator Chafee of Rhode Island, the 12 Democrats are Tom Carper of Delaware, Tim Johnson of South Dakota, Mary Landrieu of Louisiana, Frank Lautenberg of New Jersey, as well as Senator Menendez of New Jersey, Bill Nelson of Florida, Ben Nelson of Nebraska, Senator Pryor of Arkansas, Jay Rockefeller of West Virginia, Ken Salazar of Colorado, Debbie Stabenow of Michigan, and Joseph Lieberman of Connecticut. They joined with the Republicans. You are working very hard to get a Democratic majority in the Senate in these next elections and in Congress overall. What difference would it make?
5: In their defense... All but one of them voted with me when we moved to strike the habeas provision itself. Uh, that was the Specter Leahy amendment, and we had, um, I think it was fifty one forty eight, I think was the final final vote on that. Uh, they all but one of the Democrats joined with me on that. If we'd gotten three or four more Republicans, we would have at least struck out the uh, uh, the habeas provision. There are, you know, they just did.
4: Pro- they voted for this bill without without that without the, they, habea- they, they with the habeas with the habeas provision each, being I'll, stripped
5: I'll out. I'll let each one speak for themselves. The fact that the Republicans were virtually lockstep in it, so should be what uh, what I'd look at. And and maybe we're we're blessed in
4: Vermont, but that larger question. That larger question of. What would be any different if Democrats were in power?
5: For one thing, we would have been asking the questions about what's been going on for six years. You've had a rubber stamp Congress that automatically has given the President anything he wants because nobody's asked questions. Nobody's asked the questions that are in the Woodward book uh, that's coming out this weekend where you find all the mistakes were made because they will acknowledge no mistakes. The Republicans control both the House and the Senate. They will not call hearings. They won't try to find out how did Halliburton walk off with billions of dollars uh, in cost overruns in Iraq? Why did the uh, Bush administration refuse to send the body armor our troops needed in Iraq? Why why did they send inferior material? And, of course, the two questions that uh, the Congress will not ask because the Republicans won't allow it is why did... uh, 9-11 9-11 happened on George Bush's watch when he had clear warnings that it was going to happen? Why did they uh, Why did they allow it to happen? And secondly, when they had Osama bin Laden cornered, why didn't they get him? Had there been in an independent Congress, one that could ask questions, uh, these questions would have been asked years ago. We'd be much better off. We would have had the answers to that. I don't I think with those answers, we would not have the fiasco we have in Iraq today. We would have caught uh, Osama bin Laden. Afghanistan would be a more stable place, and the world would be safer.
6: And recognize that there are ties between us, all men and women living on the earth. Ties of hope and love, sister and brotherhood. That we are bound together in our desire to see the world become a place in which our children can grow free.
3: There is a feeling like the clenching of a fist.
6: There is a hunger in the center
3: of the chest.
7: Uh, this is what uh, the is New York Times had to say today. A bad bargain. Here is a way to measure how seriously President Bush was willing to compromise on the military tribunal's bill. Less than an hour after an agreement was announced yesterday with three leading Republican senators, the White House was already laying a path to wiggle out of its one real concession. About the only thing that Senators John Warner, John McCabe, and Lindsey Graham had to show for their defiance was Mr. Bush's agreement to drop his insistence on allowing prosecutors of suspected terrorists to introduce classified evidence kept secret from the defendant. The White House agreed to abide by the rules of courts-martial, which bars secret evidence. This is a critical point. As Senator Graham keeps noting... The United States would never stand for any other country's convicting an American citizen with undisclosed secret evidence. So it seemed like a significant concession until Stephen Hadley, the National Security Advisor, briefed reporters yesterday evening. He said that while the White House wants to honor this deal. The chairman of the House Services Armed Committee, uh, Duncan Hunter, still wants to promote secret evidence and should certainly have his say. To expect, uh, accept this spin requires believing that Mr. Hunter, who railroaded Mr. Bush's original bill through the committee, is going to take any action not blessed by the White House. So in other words, even though the senators and John McCabe in uh, forging this so-called compromise on torture supposedly got this notion in the air that you cannot convict someone on secret evidence that no one sees the white house is still saying well we're gonna go to the house and in congress you know we've got a lot more wackos in there and they very well may insist on keeping the secret evidence part on other issues the three senators achieved virtually nothing They wanted to bar evidence obtained through coercion. Now they have agreed to allow it if a judge finds it reliable, which coerced evidence hardly can be, and relevant to guilt or innocence. The way coercion is measured in the bill, even those protections would not apply to the prisoners at Guantanamo Bay. The deal does next to nothing to stop the president from reinterpreting the Geneva Conventions. While the White House agreed to a list of grave breaches of the conventions that could be prosecuted as war crimes, it stipulated that the president could decide on his own what actions might be a lesser breach of the Geneva Conventions and what interrogation techniques he considered permissible. In other words, they listed a couple of severe or serious physical, mental pain or suffering, disfiguring the person by mutilation, permanently uh, disabling any member, limb, or organ, or serious bodily injury. Okay, those things are off-limit, but anything below that, we are supposed to trust George Bush to determine what is and it is not a violation of the Geneva Accords or federal law. This is not the way our system of government is supposed to work. This is, this, is the, this is exactly what we've been talking about. He wants to rewrite the Geneva Conventions. The Geneva Conventions are explicit. They refer to violations of human dignity. And now we are letting George Bush define what is a violation of human dignity when he's already come out and said, that's too vague. What does human mean? can't what with dignities even before the compromises began to emerge the overall bill uh, bill prepared by the three senators had fatal flaws it allows the president to declare any foreigner anywhere an illegal enemy combatant using dangerously broad definition and detain him without any trial so much for habeas corpus
6: see the- Cross the stars, see the seasons turn like a heart. You find this days are lost to you. This is your time here to do what you will do. Your life is now, your life is now, your life
8: is now. In this undiscovered moment, lift your head up before the crowd. Down the line, one of my favorite new listeners, someone who I talk about uh, and talk with in the head on chat room. Sarge, welcome to the Inside Scoop.
5: How are
9: you doing today, Mark?
8: I'm doing pretty good. I, I'll tell you. I'm, uh, uh, you know, you and I were talking in the chat room earlier, and, and you were talking about the, when you hear this kind of stuff, it sort of it brings you down. And I don't know. To me, it kind of brings me up because I, I'm always full of hope, and I'm, I'm, I'm full of a lot of hope about November.
9: Well, but, I, uh, hope, I hope so. I, I guess uh, I've just seen too much go on in the last six years to get too optimistic uh i
8: don't uh i worry I about me, i to worry about it's the media time to build it back I'm i mean part? i'm not saying it's it's it, we we were in a very deep hole and this administration is still digging I and mean, i'm not saying it's going to be easy to climb out yeah. but i'm hoping in november we at least change the direction stop digging and start filling in the dirt
9: well, we've, we've definitely got some serious problems. Our, our, our national debt is outrageous. We're, we're in debt to the wrong people. Uh, we're turning on our allies. We're even trying to redefine, uh, or as Bush says, clarify the Geneva Conventions, and they couldn't be any more clear if they were written for a two-year-old. Uh, it's just, you know, we, you can't torture people you just cannot torture people for one it doesn't work for two it makes you worse than the people you're torturing so it's just it's stupid it's stupid 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 and people like Cheney and Bush these people are just taking us straight to the the sewer i mean we just, we cannot go any further with this thing because America's future depends on stopping these groups and that's why i hope you're right i hope the democrats will wake up i hope they'll get behind what america really is uh the thing that scares me they don't want to talk about impeachment they say it'll become a political issue but it's not a political issue it is a constitutional issue mark
8: well it is and i that the, the... Is that we can't even get to the question of impeachment until we get a majority in 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 both houses. I mean, you, you can't even. Uh, you know, Russ Feingold has been ahead of the march on that one, um, at least to start with censorship, which I which I think is is you know you got to sort of do it piece by piece. But I'll tell you something about about torture, um, and I'm going to talk about this with Mike Lane tonight and tomorrow, and I hope you all will listen into that. Uh, what 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 should be clear. And what I I just don't understand why the people supporting torture don't understand this is that anything and everything we do to people will come back and harm our servicemen, our servicewomen. Uh, one of the things that uh, that the CIA has been doing, according to different published accounts, is they'll force people to stand for 40 hours, you know, on through night and the next day, standing, and uh, deprive them of sleep. And uh, one of the things they'll do is they'll They'll keep a cell at about 50 degrees and douse them with cold water. And one of the things that I think that our CAA likes to do is a certain tricky kind of torture. They kind of know that if you apply electric cords to genitalia, people are going to say, you know what, you're torturing. So what they tend to do is they tend to take things that are no big deal in short doses, but in long doses are indeed torture, and do those. For example, standing. You can stand for 10 minutes. But standing for 40 hours, that's torture. You know, you can be in 50-degree cold all the time, but being in 50-degree cold for weeks on end with water on you until you're shivering into a, a, you know, so not somebody waking you up, no big deal. Somebody waking you up every 10 minutes for a week will will leave you stark raving mad. So it's interesting, and I'm going to get to this later on in the broadcast because Cheney's asked about this. He won't talk about techniques. And yet, that is exactly what we have to talk about. Because I'm all for normal interrogation. Police do it all the time. That's okay. But there's a difference between interrogation you, and torture.
9: Go ahead. I'll tell you what, I, you know, I'm, I've spent time in two branches of the military. I was in the Air Force and the Navy. And I served here in Vietnam. And I'm going to tell you, it's just ridiculous. You cannot, everything that the, that the Vietnamese, North Vietnamese, got out of our troops was worthless because they used torture, they got nothing. I had a friend in Germany, his dad was an SS officer during Hitler's time, and he had been indoctrinated that the United States would torture him if they caught him. Well, they ca- yeah. we caught him. He went He went to a prison p o w camp in California. He said he was treated, and I've talked to the man several times while I was in Germany <clears throat> and he was treated humanely he was afforded everything the Geneva Conventions allowed and within two weeks he had he had gotten to the point where he said, "You know what? Hitler is full of trash, and he sung like a a bird, and he he told everything he knew. He turned on Hitler. He went back to Germany after war. He told his children, if you ever get a chance, go to the United States. That's a nation with a heart. And here we are today, torturing people like we're some kind of imbecilic, barbarian, trash. Mark, I can't stand it.
3: Justin Frank is the author of Bush on the Couch, Inside the Mind of the U.S. President. He is an M.D., he's a psychoanalyst, Harvard-trained. What else? That's about it. That's good? uh, That's fine. Okay, that's what I know. But I
10: had a whole intro. I live in Washington, D.C. and practice psychoanalysis there, and I am a professor at George Washington Medical Center. Thank you.
3: Those are good street creds, okay? And we want to get those out there because the things that we are about to ask you and hear the answers to are uh, going to shock and appall some people who think that Bush is doing the right thing by suspending habeas corpus, by asking for torture permission, uh, by being allowed to abuse more power uh, because they've just given him the ability to uh, take anybody he wants and declare them an enemy combatant, including people in the United States. And I'm wondering, Dr. Frank, what kind of a person seeks to do that kind of thing in the freest country in the world i mean what's the what is his psychology about torture and uh doing away with free speech
10: it's very important to look as a psychoanalyst for instance at his entire life it's been full of examples of torture from his early childhood where he used to torture small animals from his uh blowing up frogs with uh Firecrackers from his uh, uh, youth, when he would brand uh, people on the buttocks naked with a hot coat hanger and then say it 's nothing worse than a cigarette burn. this is a man who has a long history of sadistic, cruel behavior He gets pleasure in torturing people, and he always has he 's always enjoyed. Uh, heroes who are soldiers sailors war veterans but not just those kind who are in the army but people who are uh, killers cowboys he talks about it on a regular basis he has always worshipped the tough guy but also worshiped violence he's very much like a seven-year-old boy stuck at the age of seven who uh, lives for uh vengeance power Beating up on the weaker people and avoiding the stronger people and he is now president. He was the oldest of a Family he was cruel to his siblings He had a terrible tragedy when he was seven when his sister died
3: tell that story because I know the story because I've been uh, Lucky enough to have your book and also to have talked to you a couple times before but every time I tell this story uh, Either on the air or uh, you know to friends who can't listen every day uh, they're, They're stunned by this story well and it is a really shocking story.:
10: It's a shocking story in that he was uh, he's the firstborn, and when he was uh, three and a half, his sister was born. When he was seven, his uh, sister contracted leukemia. He was in the second grade, and she died. There was uh, no funeral, there was no talking about her being sick, and after she died, uh, the day after, the parents handling grief in their own way, uh, played golf. Uh, George was not told about her death till a couple of days later there was never any talk about it one of the things that's very important in a child or in anybody when there's a death like that is that they have Sibling rivalry and they have murderous wishes towards their sibling Especially if they're first born and then the next one comes along and knocks them out of the Garden of Eden he had that. But the other thing that he couldn't do, and I think this is something I've been reading about and thinking about even more since the book, I think he was also close to Robin Because she was a playmate until she got sick. She was very vivacious and I think that he really loved her. And I think that he couldn't talk also about that side of things. He couldn't talk about what a great person and how he's missing because he couldn't, his mother wouldn't allow it or he couldn't talk to his mother about it. So there was no way to talk about either his guilt about feeling murderous, or his sense of loss because he felt that might hurt his mother or make her feel even more depressed. So there was no place for him. So he retreats into cruel behavior, disconnection, and it's called uh, kind of uh splitting or schizoid behavior where you disconnect yourself from the effects that you're having on other people and he was on the road after that he became uh cruel sadistic funny uh, a bully at the schoolyard a verbal bully all the time and this was his way of managing things that were unmanageable and he became really um i would say as close to psychopathic as you can be
3: wow and so he's now um, in charge of the entire uh, apparatus of military, uh, justice, so that, and he doesn't, does he understand the concept of justice?
10: No. Justice has, he, he does not. His, the issue for him is being right, and the issue for him is being certain, and the issue for him is never, ever admitting a mistake, and never, ever um Admitting defeat of any kind so he said in the woodward the book that came out today uh, The book that was announced the woodward book about state of denial one of the quotes I read uh, Was so interesting it said he there were some Republicans in the White House and he said quote I will not withdraw even if Laura and Barney are the only ones supporting me
3: Yeah, I read that
10: now a couple of things first of all if you remember he also during the campaign in 2004 called Laura the lump so he is lumping, uh, his wife and his dog as non-people who have to support him. He does not care about what anybody thinks. He is so hell-bent on being right that it does not matter. He is not, that kind of statement is not the statement of a president of the United States, because it's a statement of somebody who does not care about the people of the United States.
3: Well, what's interesting is the people that he surrounds himself with, they're also damaged. I mean, you know, I, I started writing a book a long time ago, and I never finished it because it made me sick yes. to research these people. I mean, really physically ill. When I looked at Carl uh, Rove's background, Rove, uh, his father, was not really his father. He didn't meet his real father till he was 40. His mother commits suicide in a Reno hotel. Um, New Gingrich is not really Gingrich. He's McPherson. His father beat him too. Uh, you know, he's been raised by two alcoholic parents. Uh, you know. uh, they're also bizarre. Cheney was an alcoholic. He had two DUIs. Bush also DUI. Laura uh, apparently killed her boyfriend in a, in a in a car accident in the middle of nowhere in Midland, Texas. Sold pot at SMU. These, you know, what is with these people that they all found each other?
10: It's hard to know how they all found each other, but it's a marriage made in uh, probably, I don't know where, but not in heaven. It's really uh, perfect for them. And what happens is they feed off of each other, and they have a kind of a gang mentality, which is a way of trying to stay safe. And Bush himself has surrounded himself, brilliantly so, with people who agree with him, who support him. And the thing that disturbs me, and I also was starting another book, and I got sick also, like you have been, um, which I was going to call, I still may write it, called Enabling Cain, which is essentially about how come we always support killers so often and... Uh, and how come these three senators recently just back down immediately after two days of protest uh, Warner and yeah, uh, I, and Rockefeller.
3: I mean, and Rockefeller and Specter, who put the habeas amendment on the floor votes for against way. his own bills yes I, I, it's, it's just stunning and what I the bullying that must go
10: bullying on really works i think there's a lot of fear i think carl rove is much more effective than j edgar hoover was in the 50s in terms of god knows what he has on these people to get them to shut up
7: in Memphis. Welcome to the program, Tom. Uh, good morning, and thanks for taking my call. Thank you for calling, sir. Um,
6: I wanted to e- express my discontent with one of the uh, pieces of our political process in this country. Here in Memphis, it's, uh, I'm either listening to what's called progressive talk, which is the station I'm on now, or listening to conservative talk. And, and I hear it on, on all sides. And it's in the last 10 years of my life, it seems like it's, it's just increasingly gotten worse and worse. Mm-hmm. That is, we can't we can't disagree with each other on policies or opinions of things without seemingly demonizing whoever whoever we're you know trying to contradict. I don't think President Clinton was anything other than a great American and a great patriot, and I think the same for for President Bush. You know, I think both of them were motivated in large part because of their love of country and and their connection with a higher power. And I think that's a, I think that's an important broad base of of most all politicians I've ever witnessed or or had the pleasure of meeting. I think it's a horribly
7: Um, Yeah, Tom, Tom, hold on for a second. I I accept your premise, okay? And I think to a certain extent uh, you have, uh, you know, maybe unwittingly uh, expressed the dilemma that someone like me faces, okay? Because you said you've seen this trend for the past 10 years. Well, I can tell you there has been no progressive radio for 10 years. Uh, you will know that we have only been around for two and a half years. There's been a couple of, uh, of progressive uh, uh, talk shows that have been out there maybe for the past four or five. And, and and this is the dilemma that I'm in, Tom, okay? You say that this has been happening for the past ten years, and I would agree with you. I think it's exactly been happening for the past ten years, maybe a little bit longer. Now, and I don't mean
6: no. I certainly don't mean to imply that it's exclusive to a radio talk shows. No, I understand. But you guys are just vehicles for people to air their I opinions. understand and that. you do a super job.
7: Well, I appreciate that. But, I mean, here's the dilemma that we have. Over the past ten years, I believe that the right-wing extremists in this country have done this to our political system. I mean, that's my belief. You have stated that you've witnessed it for the past ten years. It certainly wasn't happening uh, uh, from the left. And and frankly, what do you do when you are faced with this? What do you do now? You now you may say uh, you, you may have uh, unquestioned support for uh, both presidents. You think that both in their hearts that may or may not be true. I don't have any personal feelings one way or another about Bill Clinton or, or uh, George Bush. If they were just going around and they were working uh, as uh, lawyers, or George Bush continued to uh, own the Texas Rangers, I could care less. But the fact of the matter is that we are now talking on the day after we have gotten rid of the habeas corpus, we have gotten rid of, uh, we have basically, um, uh, dropped out of the Geneva Accords by rewriting it, by allowing our president now to dictate what constitutes torture, uh, that we now have the ability to hold prisoners, we even can hold American citizens in captivity until they die without the opportunity to go before a court. Now, I mean, at what point, Tom, do we actually go out in the streets and we say, we are destroying this country now? I mean, this is what we're facing.
6: And I, well, I, that's, the, that's the great thing about our country, that we can go out in the street, we well, can debate these issues, and we can protest these policies. But, that but, in but the can we, Tom? Make, I mean, can, do we
7: have a- the same freedom that we did uh, three days ago? Because, Tom, you go out into the street, a, uh, and if you want to That's protest- a whole point. That's a matter of opinion. Well, no, 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 no. You say we do or don't. Hold on for a second, Tom. Tom, Tom, no, no, no. This is not, let me tell you. No, 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 you you may, no. This is not a matter of opinion, sir. There was legislation passed yesterday. It will be signed by the president today. This is not a matter of opinion. This legislation says you can hold an American citizen indefinitely until the day they die without going in front of a court. This is not a matter of opinion. This is now a fact. It is not a matter of opinion whether or not. I don't care who tells you otherwise. Read the legislation. Now, I know I'm, 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 do, I'm doing exactly what you just accused me of doing, of getting angry and, uh, and getting mean about it, but this is not a matter of opinion. You can say it's sunny out, and I can say it's raining out, but we can walk outside and look at what's happening. And that's a fact. That's a fact. And so I'm doing what I can do right here from this microphone to wake people up. This is a fact. There's no opinion involved in this. My opinion is that it's wrong. But the fact is, if you go out on the street today, Tom, and you protest about the Iraq war, if you protest about this legislation, they can come and say, you're supporting terrorists. Don't you remember what Ari Fleischer told people uh, four years ago? Americans got to watch what they say. Well, now they have the legal justification, the legal system set up, so they can put you in jail and let you rot there. That's a fact. That's not an opinion. My opinion is that's wrong. Smash, smash crack, push crack,
6: Tie another one to Nobody Nobody tells tells you where to go, go, baby. What if I?
1: All right. Now, uh, we want to understand the bill better uh, as well. So we wanted to bring on Yale Law Professor Bruce Ackerman, who's written about it. Uh, he's not only the author of Before the Next Attack, Preserving Civil Liberties in an Age of Terrorism. He also recently wrote an editorial in the L.A. Times about this. Um, Professor Ackerman, welcome to the Young Turks.
11: Pleasure to be here. How
1: are you? Great. Uh, well, actually, I'm not that great because it appears that we've fundamentally changed our system of government. Am I overstating the case here? What exactly did they do in this? What... They call a military commissions bill and we call a detainee bill or a torture bill. Uh, is, are the changes as big as we think they might be?:
11: Well, this is one of the most serious assaults on American freedom in, in American history, no doubt about it. It uh, authorizes the President to um, declare an American citizen or a legal immigrant um, an enemy combatant if he believes that uh, a person has provided material assistance to a terrorist organization. So an enemy combatant is no longer someone who has actually made war on American troops or anything like that. If, uh, someone, if the president believes that uh, you have uh, sent a, some money to a charity and, and, uh, and that you knew that part of that money would go to uh, for the purpose of terrorism, a very vague term, I should say, uh, he can uh, throw you into military prison uh, indefinitely. And um, you will uh, then be able, if he permits you to, uh, defend yourself, not again, not before a jury of your peers, but before a panel of military officers. Now, if you're an American citizen, you have a right to go to court and challenge the basis of the uh, president's detention decision um, but um, if you're not, if you're, if you're a legal immigrant, and there are tens of millions of legal immigrants, uh, uh, you have no recourse.
2: Do you expect, uh, Professor Ackerman, that this will increase, the, then, dramatically, the number of uh, enemy combatants?
11: Well, um, we have to think ahead, unfortunately, and, and, and uh, there will be another attack sometime. Right. Right. Um, I don't think anything is going to happen uh, of a serious kind until that terrible moment, uh, and uh, and then um, we have uh, created a, uh, a legal structure for uh, a disaster uh, on the same scale as uh, the uh, uh, Japanese deten- American detention uh, in the yeah. Second World War. This this is this could well be terrible. Uh, uh, mind you, the president has already, once, as a sort of test case, uh, uh, seized an American citizen named Jose Padilla. Uh, he, uh, The president threw Padilla into a military brig for three and a half years. Uh, at no time was Padilla given the opportunity to even learn the charges against him. He was given no opportunity to defend himself, either in a military or a civilian court. But, of course, uh, Americans have the right to defend themselves in a speedy trial, not three and a half years, before a jury of their peers. Uh...
1: Well, I want to ask you a couple of follow-up questions about that. We're talking to Bruce Ackerman. He's a a professor of law and political science at Yale. He's also the author of Before the Next Attack, Preserving Civil Liberties in an Age of Terrorism. So, Professor Ackerman, are you, first of all, about Padilla, before we get into the distinction of citizens and non-citizens, are you a little disappointed at the reaction that... Um, politicians, law professors, uh, the legal community, and the whole country had that a U.S. citizen was stripped of all of his rights for three and a half years, and nobody really seemed to give a damn.
11: Well, I don't think that's true. I think there's a lot of people cared. I'm disappointed very much at the reaction of the courts, uh, and especially the Supreme Court, which refused to hear the case, refused to hear the case. Uh, um, the uh, uh, this uh, uh, is the Padilla case is uh, goes against I would say 300 years of uh, precedent.
1: Yeah, it does. But you know, I I went to law school. You know, at, not at Yale, but uh, you know, at <laughs> we we went. To, and I remember when I went to law school. Uh, all my professors, yada, 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 Bill of Rights. I took like 17 classes on the amendments, and, uh, you know, and right. back then I was a conservative, and they yelled right. at me, and they told me how important rights were. But you know what? I remember when Padilla was locked up. We were doing a talk show, and I don't remember a big hue and cry. I don't remember. People, you know, saying, oh, no, we can't have this. I mean, sure, the American Civil Liberties Union uh, said we can't have it, but sure. uh, there was almost no public reaction whatsoever. Sure.
11: Well, you see, this is, the, this is the basic theme of my book, to tell you the truth. The, uh, we have to prepare now for the panic reactions in the future. That's and, a- uh, of course, right afterwards, everyone is scared to death. We don't know what's going to happen next. And uh, uh, Attorney General Ashcroft got on television and accused uh, uh, Padilla of having a being, a being a dirty bomb plot against the United States mind you he never charged Padilla was never sh- charged with this <laughs> uh, but uh, and Attorney in fact they were alive. Antraft, uh, went on television and announced these wild charges which have since been entirely uh taken back. It 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 was a disgrace.
2: Yeah, we're talking to Bruce Ackerman, a uh, political science and law professor at uh, Yale University, which I hear is a is a good school. I don't, I don't know for sure. Um uh Professor uh, Ackerman, a lot of uh, people have put their faith in the Supreme Court uh in reaction to this uh with to the law passed by Congress and to be signed by the president. Uh shortly that okay, look, the Supreme Court can't possibly let this stand uh and they'll reverse it. Uh, do you share that optimism? I sense not.
11: Well, um, uh, there are a few features of this law which are really terrible and against established precedent, um, uh, especially this invidious discrimination between legal residents of the United States uh, and citizens. As I mentioned to you, the citizens can go to court and at least challenge uh, uh, their uh, detention, but legal residents cannot.
1: Um,
2: but by the way, on citizenship, you're that you, you are certain on that. You are clear. You you feel completely confident that citizens can challenge their detention in court.
1: It's, yes. And, and is there anything taken away from citizens in this bill at all? Or, yes. Or, uh, what what's taken away from citizens in this bill?
11: The um, citizens have the right to a jury trial before their peers. They have a right to to. Uh, you know, a whole vast array of uh, rights guaranteed both by the Bill of Rights and normal criminal law. All of this is taken away. Oh, it they is? Are ch- they have to defend themselves before a panel of military officers. This is so the only thing military that... law in the United States. This is really terrible.
1: So the, the thing that distinguishes what this bill does between citizens and non-citizens is that uh, at least citizens can say, hey, bring me before your military tribunal right now. Uh, I need no, to be tried. What
11: is, what the difference is that when the president says, um, Ackerman, I'm a citizen of the United States, it happens, Ackerman, you have given money to some charity and you knew that it was going to a terrorist organization, I can say, wait a second, I want to challenge that finding in court, in a normal court before a judge. The standard of proof is not clear. But it's right. not going to be beyond a reasonable doubt. All
1: right. But for the non-citizens, the legal residents and for, uh, citizens of other countries, Bush can hold them indefinitely for as long as he likes without ever charging them.
11: That's right. And it's also true for citizens. All that they have to, all that, all they, Bush can hold an American citizen, just as he did in Padilla, for years without charging him. The only thing that the American citizen has a right to do is to go to a federal judge and say, well, give me some evidence. Uh, uh, pre- of so, why the president thinks I'm a, uh, a supporter of terrorists. So you're not... That, so that's Not, so, a, not that, beyond a reasonable doubt or anything like that. So the citizen
2: is not entitled necessarily to a trial, just some sort of presentation.
1: No, but correct. see, here's the thing I don't understand, Professor Ackerman. Doesn't that just wipe out the whole Bill of Rights and the yeah. Constitution? And if it does, uh, is the media missing it? I mean, it seems like we just passed one of the most important bills in the entire history of the United States of America, and people are very ho-hum about it. Oh, there was a compromise bill you know, uh, passed right. on a, some sort of detainee bill, let's move along, when they just wiped out the whole first ten amendments you know, of the Constitution. Have a lot of,
11: people have a lot of faith in John McCain, and, uh, uh, and after all, he was a victim of torture and fought for his country, and he really um, made a mistake.
2: Yeah, there's no, and also you know we heard from uh, a couple of uh, uh, people who cover uh, the courts and Congress, and they they both said the same thing that they were fairly confident that not only as Jenk pointed out is the media uh, uh, perhaps missing the importance of the story, but that many members of Congress may not have fully understood what they were voting on. Uh,
11: members of Congress. Fully understood what they were voting on. And I should say, you know, if you read the New York Times and the Los Angeles Times, mm-hmm. many leading papers understood this, uh, what was going on. It isn't as if nobody understood it, that makes it worse, really. But the Republican leadership understood what they were doing.
2: Now, let me ask you that, Professor Ackerman. Let me just, before he gets on, I just want to go back real quick, if I could, Professor Ackerman, to the Supreme Court, because we cut you off before your answer uh, was complete there. Uh, your faith, if you have any, that the Supreme Court would overturn at least part of this?
11: Yes, I think it will overturn uh, at least part of it, at, at least uh, so long as we don't have more changes uh, in its personnel. After all, the uh, decision in June, uh, which... Uh, sort of propelled uh, the president to do something about uh, Guantanamo, uh, Hamdan, was the decision of five members of the court out of nine, uh, led by uh, Chief Justice, I mean Justice John Paul Stevens, who I believe is 86. So we... uh, so another um, a vacancy or two, uh, and uh, I, my confidence would be dramatically reduced.
1: So what, can you confidently say, Professor Ackerman, and we're talking to Bruce Ackerman, the Yale law professor, that the, the significant consensus of law professors across the country is, as you stated, uh, or is there a real disagreement here as to what this bill is? does say are there professors out there that legitimately say you know thirty forty percent of the professors say oh no 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 this bill is totally fine it doesn't say any of the things you just mentioned
11: oh no i don't think that people disagree about what i'm saying of course there are some people who support this as a necessary feature of the war on terror there are some uh, uh, law professors who think that the president has an inherent authority as commander-in-chief to uh... to seize uh... uh citizens uh... It's clarence thomas uh, in a very striking opinion uh, absolutely vindicated the right of the president to uh, do this. So, um, uh, but I don't think that anyone would find my description of what the law does controversial.
1: Uh, Professor Ackerman, one more quick point about uh, of clarification. Naturalized citizens, does it treat naturalized citizens any differently, no. or which category does do they fall naturalized under? Naturalized
11: citizens are citizens. It's just the tens of millions of people who are not citizens who are perfectly legally in this country
5: green they, cards
11: uh, they're the ones who are treated uh, really as uh, uh... Uh, people without any fundamental rights.
2: Let, let's uh, get the last question for you here, Professor Ackerman. Sure. We're talking to Bruce Ackerman. He's a professor of uh, law and political science at uh, Yale. We'll go back to basic civics here. If Democrats uh, are able to win back, say, both houses of Congress uh, in November uh, and uh, and 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 repeal this law, of course they can't without the president's signature.
11: Correctly correct. What we have to do though is to have an affirmative, positive alternative. That's what my book is about. To try to actually have a responsible system after the next attack, uh, in which we keep tight control uh, on the president, but give him a certain amount of leeway immediately after an attack. The big, the big problem here is five years afterwards, and they're still expanding and expanding and expanding uh, the power of the government to use yeah. you uh, and to snoop
1: on you. You're very right, Professor. I to uh, to say that in your book, before the next attack, preserving civil liberties in an age of terrorism. Unfortunately, it's not going to happen and if we i think that to take
11: over we can start proposing a constructive alternative.
1: Uh, we, we can. And God bless you. No, God bless you and I, and i hope that people And then maybe if we
11: win an eight, in in
1: 2008 we can just do it. Well, i i hope you're right, but it seems to me that in the middle of the night we've lost america and america doesn't even realize it yet serious problem.
2: Maybe you should just have a reasonable conversation with George Bush and Dick Cheney. Have you thought about that?
11: <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> They're both, well, Cheney's a drop-off, but Bush is a graduate. off.
1: Yeah, right, so right.
3: Exactly. If your time to you is worth
9: saving, then you better start swimming or you'll sink like a stone Or the time. Provocize with your pen And keep your eyes wide The chance won't come again And don't speak too soon For the wheels still in spin And there's no telling Who that it's naming
12: The second Clinton Global Initiative ended this afternoon after three days here in New York, and only those made out of stone could have gone home unchanged or unmoved. The headline might have been the pledge from British mogul Sir Richard Branson of $3 billion for the fight against global warming, but the final money figure was more astounding still, $7,300,000,000, much of it achieved in far smaller denominations. Our third story on the countdown, after the session closed, I got to sit down with the 42nd President of the United States and ask him not only about the initiative, but also about his opinion on the policies of the current White House. Thank you for some of your time today, sir. This was an extraordinary success. This was transcendent these last three days, not just monetarily, but the number of people that that you reached here and the convictions and and the generosity. There's eight more schools in Kenya for me.
13: Oh, thank you. But my point oh, being, you.
12: You, we got all of these people here who are already predisposed to, in some degree, who yeah. already got it, and we're just looking for the opportunity. How do you get everybody else?
13: Well, I think you, you get everybody else partly through the good offices of people like you. That is, the more publicity we get for what was done here and to the idea that you actually can get a very high rate of return for charitable giving directed toward helping people work themselves out of poverty or overcome health problems or fighting climate change all these things uh, i think the more will get people who are interested the, the, that's the thing that struck me as we have more and more people coming every year who said i would like to do something but i don't want to waste my money i want to know if i do it will have an impact mm-hmm. And and we try to show them how to do it. I mean, it's like this, these, these villages in Kenya, you know, having schools and water, clean water, or the being able to go into these farming plots in Afghanistan and, and take down the poppy and put up the, the uh, orchards and the woodlots. And knowing that these families are going to have a higher income, not a lower one, than they would, these are the kinds of practical things we try to do.
12: So that's involvement on a global scale, on life and death issues, on the essential quality of life issues. Here in this country at the moment, there seem to be a lot of us who think that there are, we are having trouble getting people involved in defending essential ingredients of our country and our heritage. We've heard a lot about anyone who disagrees with the current administration's policy in Iraq or on the war on terror, or even disputes their facts or questions them. Uh, would be suffering from moral or intellectual confusion. (laughs) The president talked about um, how in the world you you could disagree with him. Uh, It's unacceptable to think that we could be ever doing anything in any interrogation process that might be similar to what the terrorists do. When those of us worry about the, the future of the country and the past of the country, worry about our heritage, what we stand for, are we overreacting? Are we nuts? Are we exaggerating? Or do you feel this is a threat?
13: No. Let, let me say, first of all, you know, on a lot of these issues, I'm more uh, close to where you are. I think what's the, the great disservice, though, that's been done here in the last few years... Is not that let's say the administration disagrees with you or me on um, whether there should be an Abu Ghraib or mm-hmm. a Guantanamo or or whether or what the economic or social policies of America should be. The great disservice is the creation of the idea that <clears throat> if you disagree with the people that are in you're somehow you don't love your country and you can't be trusted to defend it. Mm-hmm. What we have to do is to get back to, a, to thinking in America and to promoting honest debate and honest differences so that, like, if you ask, and I would urge you to do this, if you interview somebody in the administration, no matter how much you disagree with them, don't be snide. Give them a straight-up chance to say how they disagree with you. I think that one of the things I've tried to do with this global initiative is not only to find common ground for disparate people, but also to have people calm down enough to actually air their differences of opinion. Like you take this uh, this interrogation deal here. we might all say the same thing if let's say Osama bin Laden's number three guy were, were captured and we knew a big bomb was going off in America in three days. Mm-hmm. It turns out right now there's an exception for those kind of circumstances in an immediate emergency that's proven in the military wrecks. But that's not the same thing as saying we want to abolish the Geneva Convention and practice torture as a matter of course. All it does is make our soldiers (laughs) vulnerable to torture, make us more likely to get bad, not good information. Right. And every time we uh, get some minor victory out of it, we'll make 100 more enemies. So I think these things, I really think we need to think through all this and debate more. So no, I think it's wrong for you to be portrayed as not patriotic I think that's wrong. And, but I think that those of us who are on the kind of the progressive side of the ledger, we ought to try to find a way to say what our differences are in a way that even our adversaries can hear. I, I've gotten a lot of big crowds this year mm. of people who are unusually quiet because they just want to think. They're tired of this labeling and name-calling, and we're not patriotic and all that. They know that's all a bunch of bull, and they just want us to think it through. That's why I think that CGI was so Mm -hmm. phenomenally successful this year. People say, okay, here's something I can do that is profoundly good and positive. No one's going to question my motives, and I'll either succeed or fail based on the results.
12: And you transcended... Party lines for the that that yeah. left and right.
13: Mrs. Bush came, Murdoch came. I've invited lots of other people. of lot of the business of the big Republicans. Mm-hmm. are my view is not that I still think the still think the legislation i agree with Al the the legislation on climate change is the the legislation you know what our tax policy is important how big is the deficit is important. All these things are important. But it is unrealistic to think that there are no areas on which we have common ground. And when we do things together, it changes the whole way we relate to one another and the level of respect we have for one another.
12: The Voltaire quote about, uh, essentially translated as, I will disagree with your writing, your politics, your thought, but I will defend to the death your right to say them. Yes. an, An essence of education in this country true I mean this Absolutely. is this not what we're what we're supposed to be about and when we talk about rewriting the Geneva Conventions or when we talk about demonizing dissent or even uh, putting a putting up just a bad face on dissent in this country are we not getting closer to what the terrorists want us to change
13: anyway well I think let me at least put it in positive terms Please. I think that the terrorists have an ideology, right? With an ideology, you know all the ev- you know the answer anyway. Mm. right you have a dictated result. Uh, therefore evidence, argument, old-fashioned standards of fact all are relevant. Right. You know where you want to go. And if somebody disagrees with you, they're less human than you are and they deserve to be a terrorist target. Now the way we play the game at our best moments, is that we don't have an ideology with a predetermined outcome we have philosophies Dominantly, we have a conservative philosophy and a progressive philosophy and it sort of tells kind of where we're likely to be but we're all interested in evidence and argument and learning and the great test of america's always been does it work are people better off we do it or not and we just keep growing and learning in that climate, always with one dominant conservative stream, one dominant progressive, and the debate and the tension and the learning's been great for us. So what we don't want to do is, no matter how scared we get, then it's okay to be frightened by the prospect of horrible things happening. We don't want to respond to this terror threat in a way that fundamentally alters the character of our country, or compromises the future of our children, because That's what makes it great being American. And the evidence is that a democratic society that is constantly, relentlessly learning and searching is the best antidote to the terrorist model. These guys are real good at tearing down. They're not particularly good at building up. And there's no reason we should help them by making the case for them by something we do. I
6: thank my lucky stars to be living here. Cause the flag still stands for freedom and they can't take that away come
0: on sing along everybody unless you hate freedom
6: and i'm proud to be an american where at least i know i'm free and i won't forget the men who died
0: Janine Garofalo said it best when she was quoting someone else and said the world tilts towards justice it's the only reason we have the rights we have today, it's the only reason that women have the right to vote and African Americans can be counted without resorting to fractions no doubt that these laws will eventually be overturned because our system of government and the natural progression of reason both tilt towards justice it doesn't mean that we don't have to work to accomplish these goals we do but when we work within our system our system works for us and this world will continue to progress towards reason and humanity as they have for hundreds and thousands of years respectively against the wishes of fundamentalists on all sides of the religious spectrum. This is the natural way of things however we can never stop actively fighting towards these ends.
6: Imagine all
0: Join the community at bestoftheleftpodcast.com. Have a good one, everybody.